Imagine, if you can, not half a dozen eggs, not even a dozen eggs. Try to imagine 17 million eggs. This week, a real success story for farming as we visit LJ Fairburn and Son. The old adage of an egg is an egg, that's just not good enough. You need to show that you can be different so that the supermarkets really think we want to deal with these people. More on the family business that's passionate about eggs in a moment. Plus this week, the pilot scheme for beet farmers from British Sugar. If growers could unlock some of the value of their crop earlier on in the growing season, it'd be really useful from a cash flow perspective. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, for LJ Fairburn and Son, it was definitely the chicken back in 1951. They're now one of the largest independent egg producers and packers in the UK. And in June, they won one of the four regional awards for EY Entrepreneur of the Year, meaning they're through to the national final in October. This past week, I spent a very enjoyable afternoon with Sarah Louise Fairburn and her team at the farm in Alford. 1951, um, Grandad Fairburn started the business with just £100 and 150 chickens. Um, and the business today now sells just over 17 million eggs every week into major supermarkets. So it's quite a big change, um, but very much still a strong family business that works on its um, ethics, I guess, and the roots that we um, that have been established from Grandad Fairburn's days. And it is that 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 family ethos still running throughout it. And as you say, you know, you want this business to be successful for your own children going forward, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's what motivates us. I guess that we want the business to be there for our children. We genuinely are a very hands-on family business. All our staff will tell you that we know everything that's going on in the business. We're incredibly hands-on. Everything from the farms to the packing centres to the milling facility um, to dealing with the supermarket. We're all involved in every sort of step of the chain. And, I mean, 70 million eggs, that's an awful lot, isn't it? It is a lot of eggs. Well, it seems it for me, maybe not for you, because you do it every year. It is such a lot of eggs, but every year... You know, we still actually think that we're a small family business and we joke about it. And and when we talk about producing 17 million eggs every week and selling them to supermarkets, when we first um, went on our own, it was 10 million eggs a week. And it's just grown. And initially, we just wanted to sell the eggs that our family actually produced when we went direct to supermarkets. But actually, we've got lots of other growers and producers that have come on board with us as well, which is great. It makes us a stronger business um, and it's great for their businesses as well. You talked there about going on your own. That was, what, 2014, was, was it? In 2014, yeah. There were, we had a, well, it was a sink or swim situation, to be honest with you, Sean. So um, my um, grandfather, or my husband's grandfather, set up the business in 1951. It was then passed across to his father, Stuart Fairburn, um, and they'd both been selling eggs um, to a middleman for 30 years and it had worked really well for them um, and as a family we made a huge investment in our farms um, and we had to borrow a substantial amount of money um, and basically um, the deal that we had with the middleman wasn't sustainable anymore and we needed to to go it alone um, the bank manager came in and said you need a plan A and a plan B and when he does that you know that you need to do something and make a change um, so my father-in-law um, said, to, said to his children you know and to myself do you want to give it a go if you want to go direct to supermarkets there you go you know he'd done a great job of giving us such a great base lots of land and all the skills and everything we needed in order to produce eggs um and we had all that there but we just needed to go direct to supermarkets and it it didn't sound a lot at the time but I said I always say if we knew now what we knew then how hard work it was going to be you know I think maybe it'd have put us off to be honest but um we're where we are and we're so pleased that we've done that for our children really as you say a lot of hard work 
got into it. You're now winning endless awards, uh, year in, year out, and most recently the, the Entrepreneur of the Year as well. It proves, you know, you said it was sink or swim. Yeah. And there must have been some very nervous times, I'm sure, but you're definitely swimming, aren't you? There were some incredibly, incredibly challenging times. I mean, as a family, we've all got very, very young children as well, um, and we didn't see them grow up, to be honest, for sort of four years of it, which is, is sad, but the business is there for them in the future now, and we had to develop everything from our packing centres. We didn't have any haulage, so we set up our own haulage fleet. We have now got technical directors and this sort of thing to make sure that the standards are correct for the supermarkets we order masses and masses of packaging week on week that we never had to order before um, we've expanded our milling facility we're continuing to grow our egg production types we now are the sole supplier to companies like Sainsbury's with all their special eggs nationally all their taste of difference in Amiga eggs um, we now sell them blue eggs to um, Sainsbury's and also to Aldi and that's a whole new breed of bird that we've you know created in-house the British Bluebird and there's so many different things that we've done to make ourselves stand out and hopefully to make ourselves different to our competitors. And, and it's not a, it's a case of not sitting still you know you're not sitting on your laurels thinking right we're doing okay we've got 10 million eggs we've got 11 we've got 12 million we want to keep pushing pushing up to 17 million and as you said the the, the blue eggs they're, they're in front of me now uh, again another idea that you thought yes let's let's grab it let's see what we can do with it yeah. Yeah I think as a business, we're very, very passionate about being different and about innovating. And I think nowadays, the old adage of an egg is an egg, that's just not good enough. You need to show that you can be different so that the supermarkets really think we want to deal with these people because they can do something different. They're all about quality. They're all about family. And also, it's about sustainability. The supermarkets like dealing with us because they can see that what we're earning is being invested back into the business for sustainable growth. So they're going to have that product for many years to come. So that's what it's all about and innovating um, is something that we're very very good at at Fairburns because we have lots of ideas and we have the tools available to, to do that and we're really open to new ideas. And, and the blue egg itself as you say that was uh, an idea a couple of years ago and you've experimented and tried and now you have this brew. Yeah we've now got our own geneticist actually that works with us at Fairburns so not only have we sold the eggs that we wanted to sell we've now created our own brand new breed of bird mm. and it's actually um, my mother-in-law Judy Fairburn that cares for these hens and she's done an absolutely amazing job she's reared them all from day old we've we, you know I think we're through to like the third generation of, of the flocks now and she's cared for them um, and we also mill our own feed and we give them a special diet and they taste amazing the yolk is far larger than on a standard egg and because we feed them like a really enriched diet of maize and paprika and marigolds the yolks are just so golden and delicious the supermarkets love them so we're really pleased with it of course, it doesn't come without its challenges, this this job, I'm sure. There are many, many. Earlier this year, we've, we, we know we covered it here on the programme about um, avian flu and, and the issue there. Did that affect you in any way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we were on numerous um, teleconferences on a daily basis with all the supermarkets who were incredibly concerned because obviously if avian flu um, had impacted any of the people that produce eggs for them, then it would affect their egg supply and you know, ultimately customers want to go into stores and have eggs available. Um, it just meant that we had to further enhance all the strong biosecurity procedures that we already have in place, um, to be honest with you. Um, and thankfully you know we didn't have any issues but we are incredibly robust to be honest in terms of biosecurity because our hens are obviously incredibly important to us so it's just a case of everybody that accessed the, the business had to be spraying their wheels they had to be dipping their feet um you know we were very much 
um, unrestricted visitor um, access on farms and thankfully you know it didn't affect us. That's, that's good news isn't it and I say I guess it's just one of many challenges that you've just had to come overcome and it's all been a learning curve by the sounds of it certainly over the last three or four years but uh, you're still smiling still yeah, no, absolutely and I think being a family business helps mm. I mean you know I work incredibly closely with my husband who now runs the business Daniel and you know he works incredibly hard he's always in the factories the packing centres the farms um, and we all work together as a really good team to be honest we're a lot stronger together um, and I think we've proved that to a lot of people um, particularly our competitors within the industry definitely I imagine a lot of competitors are sitting up and watching what you're doing yeah I think they are and 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 to be honest I think that hopefully it's inspiring some of them to actually push things forward and to innovate and push their businesses that bit further forward as well and something that's been great for us is the fact that you know my father-in-law actually said and gave the next generation a chance to take over the business while he's still alive to give us you know the benefit is of his advice really because you know he's a very very knowledgeable man you know he's produced many many eggs for lots of years so actually he's he's really given us something very very special and we've just got to prove that we can take it to another level for him now you may you probably get asked this a lot but you work with eggs all day long <laughs> you're still clearly a passionate about it and and i know we were chatting just beforehand that you still love eating eggs as well so you're not put off by that no we eat a lot of eggs <laughs> and i'm not just saying that we eat eggs um we particularly at the moment eat the blue eggs just because the yolk's so so nice on them and they're so large and you get a really nice golden scrambled egg which we love and also it's great all the edwina curry salmonella days that's all gone and now eggs are so fashionable everything in the press is eggs are so good for you eggs are so healthy every diet book that you open eggs are in it you know so we're in we've we've hit the market i guess at a time when eggs are back in fashion which is is great for us really so what next we've got the blue eggs you've got 17 million you've got these awards what next yeah just just keep pushing the business forward we're investing a lot in technology we've just invested another one and a half million in our packing center actually in robotics to improve efficiency so that we can pack eggs quicker um and we are also in the process of breeding another new type of hen to lay another new special egg so watch this space we will indeed that's sarah louise fairburn at lj fairburn and sons it was a really good afternoon with them that uh, passion for what they do you could hear it there from sarah louise it really shines through and it's good to see a family business doing so well we wish them well with that national award ey entrepreneur of the year the results due in october we'll let you know if they win nearly two years ago now you might remember an event was held at the east of england showground called the growing beet after quotas conference organized by nfu sugar and british sugar and uh, indeed we covered it on the program at the time a number of issues were discussed with growers invited to put forward their own suggestions as well with a pledge they would be considered by the team at british sugar one such suggestion is now about to be piloted as a direct result of that meeting back in 2015. It's called Grower Finance, and Nick Morris can explain more about it. Yeah, that's right, Sean. So just re- to refer back to that meeting, uh, we were trying to understand what else is from the contract that, uh, that that growers would like to see, and it really confirmed to us that a guaranteed minimum price was really important. It was also uh, confirmed to us that a share in market performance would be highly valued by the growers, as well as multi-year contracts so they can lock in for greater certainty for a longer period of time to allow investment. And uh, lastly, as you point out, uh, it was also put forward that if growers could 
unlock some of the value of their crop early on in the growing season, it'd be really useful from a cash flow perspective. So, for example, if we could make some of the value of that crop available from as early as, say, July, pre-harvest, that would be uh, really useful for the the farm to access that cash. So that's something which we're trialling this year with the pilot scheme. And if that's successful, we'll, of course, be looking to offer that to uh, to all growers. So hope that uh, will be successful and also wel- welcome news indeed for the, for the grower base. Nick Morris of British Sugar on that grower finance pilot scheme. Another one to watch should it work out and be expanded. On last week's programme, we discussed the Future Farms poll from Wilkin Chapman, looking at priorities for agriculture for the coming five years. Well, that poll closed online this week and hopefully we'll uh, bring you the results in a few weeks' time. Now, of course, it's one of many ways of making your views known, helping shape the future of the industry at what is quite a crucial time. The CLA is also touring the country with its Countryside Matters campaign. I've caught up with the two men at the top of the CLA to find out more about it. My name is Ross Murray and I'm president of the CLA. What these fantastic agricultural shows demonstrate is the ability for us to showcase all that we do that's best in the countryside and to take it to a wider audience. And it's up to us to showcase why the countryside matters. Because what we do is, is not just for our own benefit, for our businesses. Actually, we're producing food for the wider country. We're looking after nature and the environment. We're providing jobs. We're providing homes. There is a massive piece of work going on here, and, and it's really important. And, and the countryside matters for everyone. And it's important we get that message across, don't we? Yeah, it is. It is really important. It's particularly important now because we're in a time of great political uncertainty. We're also at a sort of turning point, you know, for the first time in 43 years, we're now facing up to the fact that we're going to repatriate all the laws and rules around management of the countryside back from Europe and indeed, you know, future funding. So we're at an absolute sort of turning point. Those negotiations in Brussels are going to be really important. And so we have to put front foot forward and explain uh, to ourselves and to the rest of the country, to our politicians in particular, Um, why the countryside matters when they're planning budgets. We need massive investment in the countryside for for, for everybody. And as I say, now more than ever, you know, the Brexit negotiations are now underway. It is crucial, isn't it, that we get a good deal for for, for agriculture, really? Yeah, we do. Um, We mustn't get sort of completely sidetracked by the sort of European context. Okay, they're our largest trading partner. Um, We need um, a really good trade agreement, possibly with an interim transitional agreement whilst it can be worked out, because I think these are complicated and take long term. So that's with Europe. But actually, we need a whole series of trade deals all around the world so that farmers can actually trade their produce um, to new markets, which they probably hadn't thought of now, and actually to underpin profitability of farming. So, so yes, Europe's important, but it's not the only game in town. And, and we are traders, fundamentally, we farmers, and we mustn't forget that. My name is Tim Breitmar. I'm a cereals farmer from Cambridgeshire, and I'm the Deputy President of the Country Land and Business Association. We firmly believe we have got to try and make people understand in government, civil servants, politicians, but equally the wider public as a whole, that whilst I know they want to see um, money that possibly Brexit might save going into services like the National Health Service, the countryside is the area that delivers its food, the food for the nation, and they want cheap food. It delivers the iconic landscape that they all love. Uh, It delivers clean water and climate change and good quality soil which is good for their health. All of those, it's effectively taken for granted. 
So we are launching this campaign and we would urge all listeners of your programme to sign up uh, and just go online, support the campaign and say why the countryside matters to them. Well, what is the feeling among, would you say, CLA members? What is, given we've had a year of uncertainty, what with Brexit, we've now got this uncertainty because of the election result. What is the feeling among your members? I think the CLA members are, I think they're positive about the future. The CLA prides itself on the long-term blue sky thinking and long-term investment for their businesses. I think this will really show people the need to diversify those businesses, and that indeed is already happening. Um, that will make them more resilient, and I think it will give them a better long-term future to withstand the buffeting of Brexit, uh, volatile world markets, and possibly difficulties that might come our way uh, when it comes to having to compete on world export markets. Tim Brightmere, Deputy President, and before him, Ross Murray, the President of the Country, Land and Business Association, on why countryside matters. We've your harvest weather for the week ahead soon. First on to our weekly grain report, the latest from Open Field. Henry Young has the update this week. Uh, wheat prices both sides of the Atlantic at the moment. Well, the markets are being driven by the weather stories, as many of you will have heard this week uh, and probably seen outside as well. The analysis uh, is showing that there has been a bit of damage, both largely in the US and Canada, uh, spring wheat belt, as we've spoken about over the last couple of weeks. This is due to drought. Also, uh, there's been some recent rains in Germany. A few of you might have seen some photos of some German crops under some very deep water. Also in the Baltic States and Poland. Look like they might continue uh, with this wet weather, but it's also not welcome. Australia is receiving some moisture, but maybe a little bit too late, whilst Indian monsoon is less than, uh, than stellar at the moment. On the flip side, the market is talking up the Russian and Ukraine crops, despite that prolonged period drought in, in the latter parts of their growing season. Again, wait and see on that one. The cooler, wetter forecast for the US Midwest appears to be having a catalyst on the uh, fund managers to reduce their exposure. Again, that is pulling back that price. So with the Sawyers, we'll see what impact that has on that market as well. Although one analyst reduced the maize yield, which, if correct, could knock about 17 million tonnes off the US um, crop. This could be an impact. It could be something that we need. Uh, additionally, the US uh, in China are reducing the US, the Chinese maize crop back by another 5 million tonnes. The EU has dropped their maize estimate by 3.5 million tonnes. So are we going to see a flip in the markets on commodities here? Rain is playing a big part in the UK at the moment. I know quite a few of you have been able to get out in your combines just recently. Um, let's just hope this can continue. We are seeing if you have wheat at the moment, worth having some conversations because there are some premiums to be had there. Just having a look at those prices, the harvest at the moment is 133 to 136, November 137 to 140, May 143 to 146, and November 18, 140 to 143. Not a bad thing to have a look at that November 18, is definitely some decent values. The barley market, the UK barley has been supported, uh, adding on from some catchy starts at the start of the harvest, as many well of you have seen. Winter barley is still being cut, reports still coming in, uh, but at present it's a bit of a mixed bag on the quality. We'll see what the premiums do on that side. Spring uh, markets at the moment struggling for direction. They're just waiting to hear the news from, from France, Germany and also the UK quality. Samples are starting to come in, so this will be an evolving story going forward. Uh, there are some crop tours going on in the UK this week, so again we'll see what impact they have. Um, again, the French have cut 20-25% of their crop. This is delayed due to the weather. Germans are much better at 60% cut with heavy rain affecting their further progression in the south. 
As for Scandinavia, they haven't even touched those yet, so we'll wait and see on that one. So, with a prolonged uh, European harvest, it's meant that the, the European consumers have, have been active in the market, coming in, getting bits, and then going forward from there. Just having a look at those feed barley prices, they are harvest 118, November 122 to 123, May 124 to 127, and November 118. The oilseed rate market, it has seemed to support on the back uh, of just kind of bouncing, especially with that soybean chat earlier on. Uh, crude oil has been pushing higher as well, which is dragging it up. Uh, that's on the back of the US fuel demand. Canadian canola has been higher as well. That's on some fun buying, just with supporting uh, on the forecast of that dry weather. In note, the market is still as good as the kind of the last weather story that's out there. The risk at the moment is what's what's kind of the, the average weather going to be going forward and what impact is that going to have on our crop and the soybean crop as well. So having a look at those prices, harvest 304, November 314. You can already see that carry into November. If you can hold it, it might be worth holding it. May 320. The bean market, the odd field of, uh, of winter beans has now been cut with some variable quality, a fairly high brewkid. But it's, all, it's still very early to start drawing conclusions about what quality and what yield. Weather permitting, we may see some more cut over the next week. Sea springs uh, towards the end of the month. Values have fallen back from last week, which is more in line with the wheat futures. So September is worth 156 to 158. X with a pound a month carry. And human consumption quality, a nominal 12 to 15 pounds. Thank you, Henry Young. From open fields on the livestock markets this week, Louth reported good trade once again with an average of 214.98 pence per kilo. There was an exceptional trade in the storing this week with the largest August entry for a number of years. The store cattle average was £842.43. And Louth had its first special sheep sale, replacing the partly fair 300 prime lambs sold, averaging 198.06 pence per kilo and £85.32 per head. Newark saw 680 cattle sold this week. The overall average levelled at 204.11 pence. Of the 3,361 sheep, lambs top £300, ewes £140, with rams at £124 and pigs £139. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Today starts off uh, dry but uh, cloudy. Highs of 20 Celsius. The wind from the southwest, 15 to 20 miles an hour. It stays cloudy overnight tonight. Quite muggy, actually. 14 the low. The wind from the south-southwest, 10 to 25 miles an hour. And then from very early tomorrow morning, actually, and through the day, we are expecting some uh, quite heavy rain in places. Should be uh, damp or wherever you are. 17 the high tomorrow. The wind from the southwest, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Drier overnight Monday into Tuesday. Still cloudy. Lows of around 11 Celsius. The wind more from the north at about 5 miles an hour. And then Tuesday starts off dry, but uh, that cloud will increase with uh, some heavy rain again forecast late afternoon. 19 Celsius the high. The wind from the west-northwest at about 5 miles an hour. Further rain overnight, Tuesday into Wednesday, lows of 11, the wind from the north at 10 to 15 miles an hour. And I'm afraid further more rain to come on Wednesday, at the start of the day anyway, perhaps some uh, sunshine late afternoon and into the evening. Highs of 18 Celsius, the wind from the north-northeast, 15 miles an hour. Then the latter end of the week at the moment does look to be drier with uh, clear skies as well. Daytime highs at about 20 Celsius, overnight lows 10 or 11 and that wind blowing more from the north at about 15 miles an hour. 
And that's the forecast. Right, I'm off to uh, enjoy some scrambled egg on toast after our uh, egg chat earlier. Uh, Next week, we're delving back into biocontrol. We're talking integrated pest management. Policymakers have got to understand that if they're driving the farming industry down the route of IPM, and quite rightly so, then they must accept that there is a financial implication and... As you say, uh, farmers and growers just haven't got sufficient margin to absorb mm. a lot of extra cost. This has to be taken into account, and I, I really don't think it has been with the Sustainable Use Directive, for instance. I, I don't think people have really considered the additional cost of using multiple control measures against a pest, which is the first reason why it's, it's more expensive. There's also... Um, issues with additional labour for crop monitoring because you've got to keep on top of the pest and natural enemy situation throughout the whole season. That means a lot of input into um, into crop monitoring. Very interesting jobs for people to do. Yes. Um, the extra cost has to come from somewhere and as you say the margins are very small for farmers and, and yeah. growers and these people have to be allowed to make a living otherwise why are, where is our food going to come from? More on that, much more on the programme next week. Until then, have a good week's farming.